welcome into the Thunder Basketball Universe. In today's episode, we're joined by a special guest, and that is former Thunder player, activist, and Tulsa native, Atan Thomas, to talk about what it was like for him growing up in Tulsa and to hear his perspective on the upcoming centennial of the Tulsa Race Massacre. Let's get right into today's Thunder Basketball Universe. The centennial of the Tulsa Race Massacre is rapidly approaching and joining us on our conversation today is a man with a personal connection to Tulsa as well as a tie to the Thunder and that is Etan Thomas and for our listeners here's just a, a quick rundown of Etan's bio. Um, he's spent 11 seasons in the NBA, one with the Thunder, he's an author, poet, award-winning activist, podcast host, father. Etan, did I, did I miss one? It sounds like you're a very, very busy man. <laughs> Oh, no, I appreciate it. I appreciate the the, the intro, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm involved in a lot of things. <laughs> well, we appreciate you so much taking the time out to join our podcast. We're very excited to have you. Definitely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. You know, Etan, uh, you, you spent a year of your career back in your home state in Oklahoma. Uh, you were a member of the Thunder for, for one season. And I, I just kind of, as, as we get started here, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on just being a member of the Thunder organization as it was getting on its feet and getting to play professionally in Oklahoma, what do you remember about that time just as kind of a member of the organization overall as it was trying to become a part of this Oklahoma community? Great memories. You know, well, I was a part of a, a young nucleus of young talent. You know, James Harden was a rookie. I remember he walked up to me and said, um, uh, nice to meet you, sir. I grew up watching you. I was like, what do you mean, sir? What do you mean you grew up watching me? But he was a rookie coming out of, you know, college and he was young. And it was Westbrook's second year. KD was young. They were, you know, Serge Ibaka was all young. These cats, were, they were kids. They were really young. But we could see, me and Kevin Ali would always talk about, this group is going to be good. Like, we don't, I don't even know if they understand how good they are. And so it was really special to be a part of that. And the organization is, you know, first class all the way, the way that they handled everything. A lot of love for Sam Presti, you know, you know, Scott Brooks, you know, it was, it was great. You know, I was, we were older, me and Kevin Ali, we were older then. So it was kind of caught in like a youth movement, which is cool. It, it, you understand every, every athlete, when they, they mature in age, you know, sometimes that, that, that's what happens. But I really, um, really respected the way that they operated. So yeah, I had a great yeah, time. In, in that second season that the team was here, uh, your year, do you remember, you know, opportunities to, to kind of connect with the fans, connect with the, the citizens of Oklahoma and maybe, you know, what the organization was trying to do on that front of being kind of good stewards of, of uh, being here in the city and the state? Oh, definitely. There's a lot of things going on as far as community outreach, who's a part of a lot of different, um, you know, initiatives. And I remember just going back and playing a preseason in Tulsa. I mean, I had all the tickets, you know, <laughs> I thought it was just great. And, you know, just the, the, the way you can tell that the Thunder really wanted to introduce themselves to, to, the, to the community and really become a part of the community. Not that they're just there to entertain the community, but to really sink their teeth into everything and to become a part of everything and, and the, the inner outs of the way the community was operating and the needs and everything like that. So it was really apparent, you know, those first years. You talked about your time, you know, being able to pr play those preseason games in Tulsa. Let's talk a little bit more about your background in Tulsa, because we know you went to, to high school there. Just mm -hmm. what was kind of the background? I know you were born in Harlem, right? And, and right. moved to Tulsa. What was kind of the, the backstory there? 
So I was born in Harlem, um, and my, my father was transferred with American Airlines to Oklahoma. It's like there's this big mass transfer. So that's how he ended up in, in Tulsa. And um, yeah, no, my, my middle school, uh, Carver Middle School, um, Booker T. Washington High School, you know, great, great times, great environment to grow up in. Um, I still have a lot of friends, a lot of family there and everything like that. So, you know, my time in Tulsa was, was definitely special. Did you know much about the, the Tulsa race massacre when you moved to Tulsa? I'm just thinking personally for me, I, it wasn't until I moved to Oklahoma a couple years ago that I first learned about it. So, so my high school, Carver Middle School, was actually about seven minutes away from where Black Wall Street was. You know, so I was very close. But interestingly enough, we didn't learn about it in school. I learned about it from the community. I learned about it in church. I learned about it from, you know, and that's, that's one of the things where, you know, it, it's, it's so important to be able to teach that in school. And that's something that is, you know, a different topic, but it, it's, there's so much history with it. And I was actually surprised. I remember afterwards, you know, go, leaving high school and going to Syracuse University and being in the economics class and the professor mentioned it and nobody in the big lecture hall had ever heard of the Tulsa massacre. Um, except for like, there was like me and like three other people. One person was from Texas, you know what I mean? One person from Arkansas, one person from Oklahoma, but that was really it. So it really, you know, wasn't taught um, outside of Oklahoma. But then again, also, you know, it was taught by our community, not so much in the schools. Yeah, Etan, it's so fascinating to hear you say, you know, you learned about it in churches, you learned about it through community and connections. And I think about, you know, this upcoming centennial weekend and the, the honoring um, survivors and descendants brunch without, you know, people like Mother Fletcher and, um, and others who can share that story and kind of pass that down. We all might not be, be talking about it the, the way that we are. Maybe we, can, can you just speak to kind of the importance that the community has had to play because this has not been a public conversation, perhaps the way it should have been over the last um, number of decades? Well, we have to have two separate educations, and that's something that the Black community has, you know, historically dealt with, um, you know, even with, with Black History Month. The only thing we were really told was Martin Luther King, you know, I have a dream, and maybe a, a few other key member things, Obama, and that was pretty much it. And, you know, just skip past a whole lot of stuff. So most of my education was done at home. My mother, you know, really educated me about my history, my culture, um, you know, reading her library. I had to do book reports, you know, from, you know, during the summer on different figures and things like that. And that's what I do with my children now. I mean, we homeschool though, so it's a little bit easier, but yeah, that's definitely what, what we do. I mean, my, my children learned about the Tulsa massacre, you know, at a young, young age. My son Malcolm wrote a, wrote a poem about the massacre that he's performed. So, you know, it's, it's really been of having to do that at home. And it's, it's unfortunate because I think that this is something that should be taught in schools, um, especially in Oklahoma. And that's one of the things, you know, I was just reading a little while ago, um, Governor, Governor Stitt in his, um, I think it was HB um, 1775, the bill that's in, in it. And I'm listening to the wording of it and I'm like, mm, I don't know if that's good. That's going to kind of make it a little bit more difficult to teach about all of these critical things that have happened, even just in Oklahoma. I mean, you go through the trail of tears or why they're called the Sooners, or why they're, you know what I mean, or the, in the Tulsa Massacre, all these different things that happen specifically in Oklahoma, it needs to be taught. You know, it, the, the, the thinking is that if you teach young people about that, it will make them feel 
you know, inferior, uh, a guilt complex, um, white guilt, things of that nature. And so you don't want to teach them about it. So you want to teach a certain um, washed, watered down form of history. And that doesn't do anybody good. That's not, you have to be accurate as far as what actually happened. And I always say, you know, if, if black children can be old enough to experience racism, then white children should be old enough to learn about racism. And, you know, I, I, and the history of racism, the history of white supremacy, those, that, that is history. If we're going to teach history, we have to teach it accurately, you know, and that's, that's one of the things that, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, but I think we're still dealing with some of the same issues now that we were dealing with when I was in school. And then also when even going back further generations were in school, as far as not teaching the, the totality of history. Yeah, Tom, I kind of want to dive into your personal history just a little bit more. And mm -hmm. clearly, this is something that you're very passionate about, but you're very, very well versed about. But I think it sounds like it goes beyond just, you know, being from Tulsa, that mm -hmm. that activism seems to be just kind of central to who you are. And it was whenever you were in the league. And it sounds like it was before you even, you know, got to the NBA. Just where did when did that sort of activism and, and passion to want to make a difference and make a change when did that start for you? When did that become central to you? So that started for me at seventh grade in middle school, Carver Middle School. That's when the, the switch came for me. And my mother started, you know, teaching me a lot about different, first of all, different athletes who use their positions and their platforms to stand up for something. Um, you know, I started reading about Kareem and Bill Russell and Muhammad Ali and, you know what I mean, all of them. And then I, I, I read the autobiography of Malcolm X. And that kind of changed everything for me. Then I started questioning. Then I started questioning. I was like, well, why aren't we learning about our history here in, in this history class? Why, why are we not learning about this? Why, why, why are you teaching us that, you know, Christopher Columbus discovered America when there's already people here? How do you discover something when there are already people living there? You know, so I started asking all these different questions. And then as I got to high school to put it to Washington, you know, I was on the speech and debate team. And so we were, I mean, we were winning state championships in basketball. We had a real good, you know, a special talent time when I was at Booker T. And uh, we were also winning state championships in speech and debate. So I had the ability to do both. And I got attention for speaking to different things like police brutality and racism, because those are things that I would write my OO about. OO is original oratory for you know, non-speech and debate people. <laughs> but um, I would write my OO about on, on those topics and it would get more attention because I play basketball. So that's when I made the connection. I was like, oh, so people are gonna hear me just because I play basketball. And I just kept doing it. So that's been kind of a part, anybody that's, that's known me since, you know, my middle school and high school days, they'll say, oh yeah, Tom, he's, he's been that way forever. He's just kept playing basketball and doing it on a higher level, but that's really been his personality. But you also get to kind of carry on this this lineage, this legacy of high profile athletes using that platform to try to broaden the conversation, open up the conversation, take a stand. What have you thought maybe over the last few years and, and maybe since you've been in the NBA, after you've left the NBA, how in particular NBA players have tried to use their platform uh, to speak to some of these issues? I mean, I think it's been amazing. Um, my last book that I wrote was called We Matter, Athletes and Activism. And I interviewed all these different athletes from the past and the present 
So I got a chance to go back and interview a lot of the athletes that I grew up reading about admiring. So like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Bill Russell and John Carlos and Mahmoud Abdul-Aruf. And it was amazing interviewing them because I was like, man, like I always tell Dr. Carlos, I'm like, I literally grew up with your poster on my wall. You know what I mean? Like it was just absolutely amazing. But then I interviewed current athlete activists like uh, Russell Westbrook and, you know, Dwayne Wade and, you know, all these different and Michael, Michael Bennett and all, you know, football and basketball, um, you know, who are now using their platforms to be able to speak to different things. And a lot of times it, right now is centered around police brutality. And I, I wanted to do that for a lot of different reasons. One, to encourage younger athletes to continue that tradition, to be inspired by it, but also to allow them to be able to have the comfortability in using their voice. And now the current wave of athletes, I mean, the way they use their social media, I mean, we didn't have social media when I was playing, you know, back, you know, it started coming towards the end, but we didn't have it the entire time. And, you know, I always say, imagine if Muhammad Ali had a Twitter account, you know what I mean? Like imagine what you would have seen. And so now you have the athletes really using their platforms in, in magnificent ways. I mean, Russell Westbrook just he just did a, a documentary on, the, you know, the Tulsa Race Massacre using his platform to do that is amazing. You know, so what athletes are now able to do is just, you know, I can't applaud them enough. For our listeners, Atan's career in the NBA spanned from 2001 to 2011. So right on the cusp, right on the turning point of that social media kind of craze mm. taking over taking over the country. But Atan, you mentioned that centennial and just being somebody who used to walk the streets of Greenwood, went to Booker T. Washington High School. For people who are just now learning about the centennial, who are just now setting eyes on Tulsa, Oklahoma, what are some of the things that you want them to take away from everything that's going to be happening around the centennial coming up? I mean, there's so much, you know, a lot of people still don't understand everything that happened and what Black Wall Street really was. I mean, if, to go back to 1921, you know, for there to be that long ago, you have to just, it's hard to really conceptualize now, but you have to go back to what America looked like in 1921, 1920, 1919, you know, and, and for, for the Black community to create their own Mecca, their own community where they didn't have to go across the railroad tracks for anything. So when I say the railroad tracks, that's um, the, the, the segregation line into the white neighborhood, into the white side of town. So they had everything they needed on their side of town. And we're talking about everything. Like they didn't need to go across the tracks for anything. We're talking about grocery stores, um, movie theaters, whatever, whatever you name, they were okay. And it was a time where Imagine if, you know, that 100 years ago, then today, where it would be. And it's hard to really even conceptualize because, you know, we don't have that now. And so for that to have been taken away in the manner it was taken away and, and so viciously and evil, you know, with, and so calculated with dropping bombs from planes and helicopters and, and coordination with the police and the fire department, everybody, how it just automatically happened and it all burnt to the ground and left so many people homeless and businesses destroyed and everything like that. We was watching this thing where the, um, the last graduating class from Booker T. Washington and they were talking about and making references 
to Black Wall Street and how they were going to go there and go to this place and get their, their graduation thing and get their, you know, prom thing for this place. And they were naming all the different places that were all in Black Wall Street. And just to know that a few weeks later, it was all burned to the ground. I mean, that it, it's, it's something where, you know, it, it, it's a story that needs to be told and needs to be told the right way. And then you have to go there's never been a type of apology, atonement, or restitution or reparations for what happened. And it's something that is definitely needed. When you look at the whole magnitude of everything that happened, then you start to see even more that, wait a minute, this happened in other places around the country. Tulsa, Tulsa Black Wall Street wasn't the only place. So you start looking through history like, wow, this happened to all these different towns. And then it just kind of puts the entire um, discussion when you hear about reparations into a different form when you're educated on what actually happened. So going back to education, that's why education is so important. Like if you're not educated on this and you don't know about it, then you're like, well, you know, they didn't work hard enough. So the community's not where it should be. You know what I mean? It's like, well, wait a minute. It was taken from them. And that's just, that's why it's so important. So what they're doing now with commemorating the, you know, with, with everything and, and trying to get different different programs and things set because they're still now teaching the world about what happened. Because right now, the only reason why a lot of people know about it now was because of The Watchmen and um, the other show on HBO. I can't remember the name of it right now, but they showed depictions of it. So that's where a lot of people started hearing about, oh, what is this that is, that is showing about in The Watchmen on HBO? And that's terrible because this is a part of history that everybody should know about along with anything uh, other part of history. You make a, a really great point. And people, when they, when they set eyes on Tulsa, and this is something that I learned just from, you know, being able to, to dig deep into this a little bit, you really do have to dig to really understand kind of the full breadth of, of the effect that that race massacre had on that community and how uh, centuries later, those ripple effects are still existing today. Um, Atan, one more thing we wanted to ask you is, you know, what are your plans? What are, what are your plans for the centennial? What are some things you're looking forward to? Well, COVID's kind of changed a lot for me. So I have to do everything virtually. So I'm going to be involved in a lot of different things virtually. I would love to be there, actually there. Um, I'm still in DC, um, you know, and those that know I had open heart surgery, so I'm high risk and I'm in a different category. So the traveling is different with me. You know, so COVID has really changed a lot, but there's so much that's going on there. And, you know, I do a lot of work with Dr. Tiffany Crutcher, who is also the, the sister of Terrence Crutcher, who's, who was killed by the police. And she's doing so much work and continuing, like her, her passion, her commitment is just amazing to me. And I know the Thunder have done things with her and the NBA has done things with her. And, you know, I went to middle school with her. Like she, we went to middle school together at Carver. She was one year older than me. And we went to Booker T. So I'm seeing all the stuff that all the different people are doing. It, it's, 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 really, it's really amazing to see. So there's going to be a lot of events going on in Tulsa this, this coming week. For, for those who are attending in Tulsa and, and making the trip, and you know, we already are, are seeing people heading to Greenwood and, and documenting it and just kind of taking that in, what are, what are some things that you'd maybe like them to be thinking about as they're there and, and trying to process and, and take in as we honor the people that, that passed and, and that were killed and, and we try to recognize the horrors that were uh, put upon a community? I think really just, just being educated for the people who don't know to really just being educated and then learning more you know, on their own and then bringing it today and 
to seeing why some of the reverberating effects of the, the same mentality who burnt, that burned uh, Black Wall Street to the ground still exists today. And why when people say, okay, there's a, a need for us to still fight against white supremacy and police brutality and things of that nature, it, it hopefully will put it in a different light when you, when you see, and you can see the connections. You can see the, the police department you know, who they killed Terrence Crutcher and a lot of other, you know, um, unarmed black individuals and brown individuals in Tulsa. And there was no, you know, nobody held accountable, nobody, anything like that. And just kind of given a license to kill. Why, how that's connected to what happened in the Tulsa uh, massacre where nobody was held accountable and nobody was brought on charges and nobody spent a, a day in jail for what they did, you know, to an entire community of Black Wall Street. So. I think that I would like to see people make that connection because it's not that far removed. When you see somebody living who was a part of uh, Black Wall Street, the last living survivor, you know, actually here speaking, you know, okay, she was actually there, you know, so I hope they make that connection. Well, Tan, we're honored that you were able to come and share your experience, your perspective with us on our podcast today. I know personally I learned so much and I hope our listeners do as well. So thank you so much again for taking the time out to join us on our podcast today. Great. And thanks for having me. And thanks for doing this too. I, I, it's, it really means a lot um, for you to do this as for the Thunder to do it. And that goes back to what I said before about the, you know, the, the, the organization as a whole to be able to touch on this subject and to shed light on it and to have it on their broadcast. So much respect to the Thunder. Thanks so much. We, we really appreciate your perspective. Thanks for having me. That's all for today's podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much to Etan and to our producer. And until next time, Thunder up and catch you later.